Hello, I'm Alex Novrese, the Head of Content and Digital Marketing at HSF, and I'm here with my colleague Tom Baker and Alex Cravero, who leads our Emerging Technology Group in the UK, US and EMEA region. The group covers cutting-edge digital tech, which can be seen in fields such as AI, crypto assets and immersive tech. We're all here today for a podcast to reflect on a recent series of articles that we collected under the name TechQuake, which explore the kind of high-impact technology that sits at the heart of Alex's practice. These are the platforms and technology that often dominates the headlines, even more so in the last year with the launch of ChatGPT, which must have soaked up more media attention and debate than any equivalent in recent memory. The idea is to discuss some of the themes that came out of the TechQuake series, which focused on the metaverse, crypto assets, AI and cybersecurity, reflect on how things have moved on since, and hopefully give a few pointers to how these fields could evolve in future. Kicking off, Alex, thanks, thanks for joining us. Before we start, uh, have I given a reasonable summation of your team's work uh, and the kind of thing that keeps you busy, or is there anything particularly to, to add before we, we get into the, the proper discussion? Hi, Alex. Thank you very much for having me on today. I think you gave a perfect description of what the team is up to at the moment. We are over 300 lawyers now globally uh, working on all sorts of different emerging technology matters spanning all sorts of different legal disciplines, but that in particular focuses on everything, as you said, from AI and blockchain to crypto and the metaverse. So looking forward to the conversation today. Let's hope I don't, I don't stuff it up. I'm sure it'll be good. So TechQuake was a popular campaign for us. Apologies on marking my own homework there. I mean, I think on in many aspects, we got lucky in that a lot of things we were covering were, were all over the, the business headlines at the time. Looking back at the things that we covered in the, in the main chapters that came out, what, which sectors have you seen the, the most change since, since we published those pieces? It's an interesting question, Alex. I think they've all changed, but in completely different ways. If you think about where we were to a degree with the cryptocurrencies piece, um, it was very much a case that I think the FTX uh, issues had really just started to take hold at the time of releasing our article, um, and the market was fairly downturned. There's still difficulties in the market as it stands right now. It's bouncing back, I think. It's stronger than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, the market as a whole is changing in as much as there's increasing regulation coming in, uh, which is really interesting. And I think that's going to really reshape how that looks in the future. AI equally was, you know, sort of we were talking about analytical AI at the time. And now suddenly we've got, as you say, Chad GPT, We've got all of this excitement around generative AI, um, and I think that's really grown and grown recently as well. So very different landscapes to where they were, I think, you know, three, six, 12 months ago. Okay. So looking back at the the different themes, the different chapters, um, one of the things we looked at when we were looking at the questions, we, we were wondering, Tom and I, have, how much you have sort of unifying themes in these sectors. I mean... Do you see them as common factors driving them or are they they pretty separate ecosystems? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think there's definitely overlap in the way that these technologies behave more generally. Uh, I think, you know, Gartner, the research company, is the one that sets out the hype cycle and they all follow that common trend of starting, 
in a world of uh, you know a steep hype uh, and excitement, and I think we've certainly seen that around generative AI recently. Mm. We saw it you know a few years ago around crypto assets, and they they get to a, a peak effectively and then drop off into what they call the trough of disillusionment before moving into normal and common usage. And I think we're certainly seeing those technologies following that cycle. We've seen periods of extreme hype with each of these things. Uh, Metaverse, you think when Facebook rebranded as Meta and it, uh, you know, uh, it was all that fanfare that sat around it and the amount of excitement there was. And now, actually, I don't think there's quite that same level of excitement. That's just because things, uh, whether it's the use cases, the business modeling, the the law and regulation are all catching up to it. Mm. Um, And I think our, our... giving pause, making people reassess where, where we actually sit on that spectrum. Um, AI is exactly the same. We've seen an enormous period of hype very recently. Um, a lot of people I think I've read on LinkedIn and on various other platforms saying, is that going to ever end? Is this the different one? Um, and I think the answer is simply no. They all go through this same cycle. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's that's the one commonality that we're always going to see with these technologies. There's going to be a period of great excitement and great opportunity, um, and then a period of reckoning, frankly, mm. where uh, everything catches up to them. Okay, no, fair point. Pe- period of reckoning. So let, let's looking at this in terms of sort of individual subjects. We, we thought we'd we'd start a bit with the metaverse, and that that's been through real real ups and downs. And I think of all these fields, it's probably the the one topic where there's uh, a real mix between people who think there's something substantial there, or, or they you know, it's just a kind of marketing exercise, I suppose, to, to pick some terms. Um, but look, let's start with the basics. The metaverse is a, a slightly ill-defined concept. We certainly found that more. We were working on and researching the piece. Um, I guess the shorthand is sort of immersive 3D internet. I've probably given the moron's description of it. Could could you give us something less moron? No, I think you're exactly right. The difficulty with all of these technologies is taxonomy and how people describe what they are and whether we're all talking about the same things. The metaverse, for me certainly, is the concept of a 3D immersive virtual world in which you can live your life as an avatar shopping or playing or working or doing whatever you want to ultimately do. Um, Whether that's the same for everybody, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that the uh, the metaverse as a concept has has had a few ups and downs, you know. And um, it wasn't that long ago that, that Facebook, or I should probably call it Meta platforms, or and Microsoft were were making some very bullish comments. They certainly seem to have put a little bit less emphasis on it in the last in the last twelve months, and I suppose that's partly to do with with investor pressure or, or you know fashion, whatever, however you want to think about it. What would you see the sort of current the current mood on on the metaverse, or, or how are people feeling about it? I think an easy way to look at this is to look at Apple's Vision Pro headset release, where I don't think the word metaverse was used once uh, in the entire release, and and maybe that's business positioning uh, as against a direct competitor in Meta, and obviously the focus that they've had on the metaverse. Yeah. Um, but equally, sorry, sorry, remind me, Alex, when did when did that come out? That was quite recent. It was wasn't recent. It, it was yeah. only a, a couple of months ago now. Um, And I think the immersive tech aspect of this is a really interesting angle. It's a very specific piece of this overall concept of the, you know, the future of the internet. 
Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think if you if you think about the metaverse as a concept rather than itself as a technology, and you understand that actually the concept, this future universe, this future of the internet, is made up of lots of different technologies, mm. you can sort of understand why it's slower than perhaps other things. Uh, it's it's perhaps not as um, as clear as to when that's necessarily going to come about, perhaps. Yeah. Um, as as other technologies where we've seen big inventive steps recently, like generative artificial intelligence, as I said, and mm. even to a degree, some of the stuff we've seen with crypto assets as well. So, look, I think co- consumer sentiment, business sentiment, it's there. It's something that's on the horizon. It's definitely worth paying attention to. Um, but is it as pressing or as exciting, perhaps, as some of the other things we talked about in TechWake? Mm. Maybe not. Okay. So what would be some of the the obstacles or that would have to be overcome or the breakthroughs that would have to be achieved before it becomes something that is a little bit more mainstream or, or there's there's more mainstream um you know participation from from big companies what 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 do you think needs to be achieved first so it's interesting actually in terms of the commonalities you mentioned earlier it's similar to what we've seen with this uh, step for generative ai as well but the mm. really big thing that underpins all of this is computing power it's compute at the end of the day you know when you're thinking about this 3d virtual world and you're using these vr headsets which are all very energy uh, it, um, they consume a lot of energy effectively yeah um you're looking at requiring an enormous amount of computing power you're looking at 3d rendering engines that can build worlds around you uh you know those are energy intensive they are difficult things to build and i think right now the question is whether the companies that are setting out to do that necessarily have all of the underlying infrastructure in place to be able to get to that state i suspect that this is a you know a longer project for them it's going Mm. to be many years before all of that architecture all that infrastructure is in place to enable that to happen yeah. Um, there's also, I suppose, the business model side of things as well. Uh, when we talk about a true metaverse, we're really talking about a single universe in which you can move from virtual world to virtual world mm. uh, with all of your assets going with you and all the rest of those various different things happening like you can in reality now when yeah. you move from store to store, for example, or country to country. And that's a big ask technically. <laughs> technically it is, yeah. And the business model that sits behind it's quite interesting because if you think, you know, how do you get your direct competitors to play nicely with each other to enable that to happen? Is there... A, you know, a business um, reason that they would want to allow you on platform X to to jump over to their direct competitor on platform Y uh, with all of the stuff you've got and for that portability to be there. And I think that's still being worked through by a lot of these companies. And Mm. that's why we sort of see this newer concept of multiverse and other words coming out as well, where really what we're looking at is saying, well, maybe the metaverse is not just one big universe that everyone can hop from place to place, but actually mm, multiple multiple different right. things that we can all do. Um, the only last thing I would say is uh, very briefly um, on uh, the legal and regulatory landscape that's associated with them. When we mm. think about uh, crypto assets, for example, which are a fundamental part of really being able to have value in the virtual world, uh, any virtual world and be able to transfer that value from place to place for it so effectively it stays with you mm. the difficulty is that we need to um we, we need to understand uh you know where the law and regulation really stands in relation to that you know what rights do we have in relation to those assets are those assets actually worth it because that's what's going to give it the value that's what's going to get the usage up Mm. Um, that's what's going to give consumers trust in those platforms and then that's what's going to drive further inventions further inventive steps Mm. 
so that works sorry you, you probably run slightly ahead of my limited understanding so that's so you think sort of digital assets crypto crypto assets that's key to sort of monetizing the metaverse is that is, is that what you're saying or I, I think so that? I think so I think it's the key to being able to um, transfer or, or hold ownership as an individual in a virtual world yeah and then move that from one place to another so in much the same way that you could um, have your uh, I don't know your your euro effectively and mm. you could move from country to country and you could use that euro everywhere well if you replace the eurozone to you know with this virtual worlds and each country is slightly different with different borders and all the rest of it the question has to be what well, how does that money move with you how does that value move with you and at the moment on the internet if you go and sign up to a platform platform x over here yes you might be able to accumulate tokens or coins or value in that particular place mm. but then if you go over to platform y that that stuff doesn't move with you mm. you know it's not like the real world where you could have moved from france to germany and then spent your money in that country without having to go through all these horrible prices you'd have to then start from zero again effectively on platform y and I yeah. think that's where to me crypto assets digital assets more broadly come into the mix it's about them as an enabler for us as individuals to have our own presence in a virtual world, to have ownership of items or assets that are virtual in mm. their nature, and then to allow us to move with those assets from virtual place to virtual place without losing all of the value that comes with those as well. Gotcha. So if you've got these kind of multiple metaverses, these multiple environments, you can have these, whether they're sort of NFTs or, or, or units of value that, that can exist separate to any of those, and they can, they can go with you effectively. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so is there, I mean, looking just over the last 12 months, and I get that the metaverse is, is kind of more of a concept than a reality. Uh, are there any signs of uh, business models emerging or commercial applications in these kind of proto metaverses that, that we see? You know, I suppose you see some of it in the gaming industry. But is, have you sort of noticed anything that's caught your eye over the last 12 months? Yeah, you kind of said it there. The gaming industry is the one that I think was pioneering a lot of this stuff, mm. and largely because that's the starting point for them. They've, they've got their game. Well, what do you add into the game now? What builds out your world? Well, yeah. you can have live performances from singers. We saw yeah. Ariana Grande making incredible sums of money out of uh, live performance in one of those metaverse worlds not too long ago. Um, and you can continue, you can see how that mm. builds from there. I think some of the more interesting use cases, I mean, they're, they're often in the consumer space. We saw a uh, fashion uh, parade effectively or a fashion show take place in Decentraland uh, mm. not too long ago. Um, that generated enormous amounts of revenue for Prada, for all sorts of different companies, fashion brands that were effectively uh, in the world, um, allowing people to watch the virtual uh, avatar-based catwalk that was going on and purchase these digital assets, these NFTs, um, and also to a degree some physical items as well. I heard numbers in the millions going for mm. tiaras and for bags that are available to avatars, sometimes paired with physical bags as well in the real world. But actually, in some senses, just things that your avatar can wear around and say, actually, this is mine, this is unique, this is from Prada, and mm. so on and so forth. So that's been quite an interesting one from my perspective, is that, that there were so many people that saw value in them. Yeah. at that point and invested so much money in those areas as well um, and the only other one that i'd say that i'm certainly seeing emerging from speaking to my clients about at the moment is around financial services 
Um, and actually, you know, we saw early on a number of banks and other organizations moved into these virtual worlds, because if that's where their future consumers are going to be, then of course, it makes sense for them to also be there to be able to support and service those individuals in the environments that they're in. Much like if you went down a high street right now into a, a bank branch, yeah. this is the virtual equivalent. Um, but uh, lots of other things as well. You know, that they're offering all sorts of different services in these virtual worlds now and services underpinning the virtual worlds as well, including as we're starting to see with the crypto exchange is the ability to transfer, transact, you know, all those kind of things with your, your virtual digital assets. Okay. All right. Feels like we've covered the, the metaverse in a reasonable sort of detail there. At this point, I was thinking of handing over to, to Tom for a bit. He's going to sort of take us through some of uh, exploring the crypto assets. So um, what do you got for us, Tom? So, um, I mean, we mentioned at the top end of the show that, a, you know, crypto has been on a bit of a roller coaster recently with plunging asset values. And there's been a lot of distress in that ecosystem and things. I suppose just starting on a bit of a broad topic, you know, how do you see that, that industry at the moment, that space at the moment? Where are we compared to where we were when we actually came out with the article? I think we, we're in a similar kind of place. I don't think it's quite as raw in terms of the, the sort of um, number of, different high-profile failures we'd seen at the time of writing the TechWeight piece that we did. Um, I think that's tailed off a bit. We're not seeing quite so much distress in the market, I don't think, compared mm. to that period there. I think things have settled. Um, we are still seeing issues, though. We saw Bittrex enter into Chapter 11 bankruptcy not that long ago, just a couple of months ago, not even now. Um, so there are still issues, and big players are still being hit. Um, so it's not like the market is in the clear, I don't think, at the moment. But... With that said, it's also not continued to decline. It's not got worse. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's actually rebounding in many senses. You look at the Bitcoin prices and other things as well. Um, but you also look at regulator attitudes towards it and what's happening with the regulatory landscape now. And actually, I think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of this stuff. Um, I do think, though, that things like the um, cost of living crisis and, and other various pressures on people's financial positions mean that. Um, over time, we are going to see a bit of a tailing off of, of the amount of consumer appetite for those types of assets necessarily. Um, and we are kind of seeing that pushing through to the market now. But it's resilient. It's bouncing back. And I think that's really exciting for anyone that's in that space. Mm. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, leaving aside the, you know, the distress and the, the sort of contagion that we saw after the collapse of FTX and things, but in some of those other things you alluded to, I mean, are there any key developments you would pick out in particular over the last sort of six months or so that really stand out to you? So the big one for me, obviously, I think as a lawyer, would be around the way that regulators are addressing crypto assets more generally. Um, I think I look over to Europe, for example. We've now got the Markets and Crypto Assets Act coming through, so Mika. Um, that that's um, a really exciting step. It brings with it, I think, a degree of certainty for consumers and for businesses that are looking to operate crypto-related businesses uh, or interact with crypto-related products in the European markets. Um, that's a really important step forwards. Um, obviously, we've got increasing regulation coming in in the UK as well. So there's various different pieces that are starting to flow through, So starting with stable coins and then um, indeed in relation to financial promotions of crypto assets as well. And I think those things, again, it delivers certainty to the market, it delivers trust to those that are interacting or part of the market. Um, and I think it is, yeah, it's, it's a really beneficial step forward. I think, you know, one of the 
prominent criticisms that we've seen at the crypto market is that it can be very energy intensive as well. And obviously, one of the standout things we've seen recently is Ethereum has moved from, you know, moved models to a, a proof of stake model, which is much less energy intensive. How significant do you think that is? And, you know, how has it been received since it happened? And how do you kind of see the long term impact of that move? So the merge happened a little while ago now. And I think it's initially it was interesting. I think it was met with a bit of hesitation, maybe. Um, particularly from those that were, um, you know, engaging closely with the Ethereum network more generally. Um, I think there was a, a little bit of concern around it. I think that's ironed out now, to be honest with you. I think um, any of the risks and issues that perhaps were perceived as potentially arising from it, um, it perhaps didn't play out quite as in quite the same way that I think people maybe uh, worried they would. Um, and as a result, to be honest with you, it seems to be moving in the right direction. Bitcoin is the the still the largest cryptocurrency in terms of volume. Um, it's still by far the most energy intensive one. Whether that one ever moves over, I think, remains to be seen. Um, it's a bit against the ethos, I suppose, of the, those that kind of run it for all intent and purpose. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. Ultimately, I also think, and I, I think I said this at the time as well, the merge was sort of a necessary step beyond just the ESG aspects of it. The ESG aspects obviously can't be downplayed. Um, they are really important. More companies are being caught by ESG regulation, are having to show themselves as complying. Mm -hmm. And as we start to see these technologies moving into the mainstream, we are we need these technologies to be ESG friendly, ESG mm -hmm. compliant, because otherwise, you know, your major financial institutions aren't going to be able to engage with them, you know, and, and others aren't as well. And so these are huge power drains as well, aren't they? They, they go through. It's... Potentially enormous, yeah. potentially enormous. But I also think that it's just the natural progression of the technology itself as well. Um, when we think about it, it's not just the environmental problems that are caused by proof of work consensus mechanisms, so the sorts of uh, ones that you were talking about, Ethereum in the old sense and, and uh, Bitcoin particularly. Um, but it's all of the actual transacting capability that sits around it as well. The throughput, you know, the amount of, of uh, transactions that can take place, the amount of money you have to spend on those variable fees, the gas fees, um, that can go up and down depending on the amount of, um, of people that are trying to transact at the same time. And I think a natural move is to go to proof of stake where there is higher throughput. The transaction fees are more stable generally. Um, and businesses now are looking at sort of third or fourth generation blockchain technology where Bitcoin is still first generation blockchain mm. technology. Um, it's, it's like any other step in computing capability uh, moving forwards, I think. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned blockchain um, there. Something I wanted to sort of run past you to see if you think there's anything in this, and there, there might not be. But sometimes it seems to me that blockchain actually has more admirers than cryptocurrencies themselves. Like the, the technology that underpins a lot of the currency is actually what a lot of people admire. Do you, is that a fair comment, do you think? Or what's your kind of view on that? That's a fantastic observation, actually. I think that blockchain technology, the infrastructure, the actual infrastructure layer itself, I think has been somewhat unfairly tarnished by its primary use case, the application, which is digital assets. Over the last few years, I think the two things are seen as sort of one and the same, and actually they're mm. not. Blockchain technology and the infrastructure itself offers such a range of benefits to so many businesses. We're seeing it, you know, potentially being able to uh, be leveraged in the financial services industry by existing financial institutions mm. um, and others to, to, you know, facilitate uh, more um, uh, speedier, I suppose, uh, transaction processes or underlying clearing and settlement, for example, getting that down from two or three days to zero potentially 
um, which is fantastic. Um, but I do think, as I say, the, the, the challenge has been that digital assets, you know, it, when we think about where blockchain technology came from, it came from a place of distrust for financial institutions. It came mm. off the back of the financial crisis. It was there specifically to get around large institutions that had been failing at the time, um, having such a grip on uh, something so important to, to humankind. Um, and so you can see why the confusion is there, but I definitely think that the, the, the digital assets aspect of it Look, I'm sure there's value in them and, and different use cases. There can certainly be seen to be different uh, values, I think, attached to them. But the actual technology itself, I think, is the thing that stand out for me. Yeah. So when people say, you know, it's quite a familiar um, criticism of crypto, isn't it? That it's a solution kind of, you know, looking, for a, looking for a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think people are normally talking about cryptocurrencies or the technology or, or both? I mean, what's your take on that quite common refrain from people who kind of detract this stuff? It's it's interesting. I think I think it depends on who's saying it, right? We've heard that from policymakers and regulators, and I think if you think again, it's to the point I made a second ago about how blockchain technology came about and the digital assets use case initially there. I think it is um, it's an inevitability that you would be saying, well it is a, a solution looking for a problem because the solution came about to address a very specific problem at the time, the one that I already articulated around banks and, and the lack of trust that was existing in them. And that was the digital assets use case. Now, whether that use case pans out or not is, is one side of it. But then there are lots of other potential use cases for this technology. But of course, you've now got the technology, you've got the solution in theory. So of course, you're looking for a problem <laughs> because that's just the nature of how the technology has come about. Um, I think there are lots of opportunities potentially for this technology um, in all sorts of different areas. We've seen it used not just in financial services, but we're seeing it used in music, in you know ensuring intellectual property is properly recorded as between parties and all sorts of different things like that as well. I do think there's a period of exploration, but I think that's true for any technology, to be honest with you. If you look at generative AI, I mean, it's either going to terminate us on one side of things or it's going to change absolutely everything in the world ever. And that can't, neither of those can possibly be the answer, right? It's got to be somewhere in the middle of those two things. So it's exactly the same concept here. Um, yes, there will be a bunch of use cases put forward. Some of them will be frivolous. They won't really pan out to be anything particularly useful, but it's true for any technology. And I think that's kind of an over, for me, it's a bit of an overly harsh criticism of the technology. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't want to spend too much uh, time on crypto because I'm aware we've got to cover the ground of AI, which you mentioned there as well. But just sort of briefly, I mean, how do you see this evolving in the next three years in terms of the industry? Do you see some of the controversies being ironed out and it going a bit more mainstream or is there still kind of a lot to be done? How do you see that unfolding? I'd like to think so. It's it's difficult to tell, I think, just because of the way that crypto is being handled in the US at the moment, particularly. We've seen quite a few cases coming through being brought against you know, all sorts of different companies from Coinbase and Binance through to Grayscale, for example. We've seen regulate or not regulators, but uh, legislators and policymakers and others starting to kind of, I think, push back on a bit of over-regulation maybe. So there's a judgment out about Grayscale just recently, um, which effectively said the SEC had erred in its approach of not giving them the, the necessary licenses and other consents they needed to, to, to continue. Um, so it's a bit turbulent, I think, on that side. Um, but I do think that with increasing regulation will come increasing certainty, as I said before, that will increasingly bring trust. Um, and with that, I think we're going to see a more settled and stable market. And I think it's a market where 
not just more consumers, I think, will be more content in getting involved. I've certainly seen lots of reports coming out recently where um, consumer surveys have been carried out and the consumers have been saying, um, look, we would invest in crypto if there was clearer regulation around it, if we really understood our rights in relation to these. So that's got to be a positive step for them. But also those businesses then that are looking to move into that space, and not just the crypto businesses themselves, because um, I think you're going to see a washout of some of the ones that are perhaps a bit more spurious or a bit, you know, that perhaps shouldn't be there. Uh, and those that have been operating properly, being able to then continue to do so, those that are committed to the end consumers to being able to do so as well. Um, but I think you're also going to see larger traditional players being more comfortable with getting involved in, in the area as well, uh, whether that's financial institutions or others too. So hopefully we see it becoming a bit more ingrained in our day-to-day life, but in a way that makes sense for us as individuals. Just a quick last, last one on crypto while we're on it. As somebody who's probably best got a marginal understanding of the sector, even having worked on, on some of these articles, it seems sometimes that tougher regulation would probably help the industry, as in whether that's either an interim thing or just to sort of you know, expand the potential market, that even if there are restrictions with that. Is, is that the way you see it, or is that just not not the spirit of something which is just cut from a different um, ethos. The spirit point's a really interesting one because I think when the markets in crypto assets uh, regulation, Mika, was coming through, um, I remember there being a whole argument around whether non-fungible tokens would be caught within the act mm. or whether they would be left outside of it instead. Because yeah. in a large argument that was made by a lot, I think, the crypto industry that was operating in that space particularly was that it was against the ethos of what they were trying to achieve and mm. there are various other arguments that went with that too. So it is quite an interesting um, point, I think. Um, I Tougher regulation, I'm not sure. I think clarity is what people crave for, whether it's in the business or the consumer world. And I think regulation is a means of providing that clarity, and it's a more secure means of providing it. I think where there's gaps, what you end up with are people either um, you know, trying to benefit from those gaps in ways that are perhaps not favorable to, to consumers, to businesses alike. Or what you see is a bunch of self-regulation starting to come in and you see, you know, proliferations of standards and mm. guidance and other things from industry bodies. And I'm not sure how helpful necessarily that is because you're effectively asking people to police themselves. And mm. we've seen actually certainly in relation to some of the bigger tech companies recently that actually you get a change of guard at the top and they might just decide to rip up those the, the compliance with those standards and other things as well, which you can't do with regulation. Mm. At the end of the day, you're caught by it, you're not caught by it, and a theoretically independent third party will tell you whether that's the case or not. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it is, it's got to be a step forwards to see regulation coming through. Um, I think the difficulty is going to be whether you end up stifling innovation through the introduction of regulation. And I think that's a really difficult balancing act to have to strike for policymakers. Mm. Um, And we're really only going to see the impact of that once the regulations are in and once the businesses are starting to really respond to that and the markets are starting to really respond to that as well. Thank you, Alex. Well, that seems a good point to take a break before we return for our second instalment on artificial intelligence where we'll be finding out if AI is coming to wipe us all out. Hopefully we'll still be here and you'll join us again.